listening to the Hooked on Learning Podcast, where we discuss all things related to continuous improvement. And now to your host, Jesse Marka. Welcome back to yet another episode of Hooked on Learning, and today we are going to continue our series on crew resource management. We've been talking about threats and errors and how they relate uh, from the world of aviation back to the fire service, and we were doing this under the context of bird strikes, and bird strikes present that high-risk, high-frequency situation for aviation. So fire service-wise, we have our own bird strikes, and um, and we want to make sure we manage those managing those threats and one of the biggest ways that we can manage those threats is through training so training programs in my opinion should be designed to facilitate mastery of all required knowledge skills and abilities for the job you know and training really becomes one of those pieces where you can have all the things on paper you want but if you never train on them in any way shape or form then in all reality what good are they Training includes a strong commitment to developing and maintaining a high standard of effectiveness and of safety. And in the aviation world, it requires a complete commitment to crew resource management, which involves all of the aspects of multi-crew, team-based decisions and actions. And in the fire service, we are no different. It requires the full crew in order to make sure... um, what we're doing is actually what we should be doing. And training is the arena that we practice and build and maintain those needed uh, skills and abilities when we're on these scenes. So Captain Sullenberger famously landed a plane in the Hudson River. And on a previous podcast, you listened to the audio in real time where he was making those decisions and communicating with his crew. Now, the really interesting part of this is all of Sullenberger's, Captain Sullenberger's flying career over 42 years was really judged in a matter of seconds. And one of the things that he said was that he regularly made deposits into his bank of knowledge, skills, and abilities because he was fearful that one day he would have to make a massive withdrawal. And he did not want to bounce that check, so to speak. He did not want to overdraw those resources. So he invested a small amount of knowledge and skills and abilities over time just in case he had to make a massive withdrawal. Sullenberger didn't wait for something to go wrong. He was proactive on his approach. He didn't assume he could flip a switch and land an airliner in the middle of a river in the middle of the biggest city in the United States. He made sure he was ultimately prepared for whatever situation was in front of him. So training also gets back to expectations. So whether it's crew resource management or it's any other part of our operation, it should be firmly rooted in organizational policy. This translates to consistency and ultimately develops mastery. So you can't know where you're going. Uh, You can't get to where you're going if you don't know where you're going. That's what I was trying to say. So ultimately, CRM and CRM training is most effective when it's put inside of a training program that is focused on standard operating guidelines that are clearly understood by all personnel and that the concepts of crew resource management are continually reinforced at all levels of the organization. 
Now, a large number of deaths uh, in terms of line of duty deaths aren't due to a sheer lack of responder ability, but rather a lack of effective crew coordination that is not reinforced through effective training. Now, we don't have to label everything as crew resource management to be trained in crew resource management. The reality is we are doing many, 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 many things in our organization that are a direct derivative of crew resource management. Again, pit crew CPR or high performance CPR is a phenomenal example of that. If you think the sugars uh, need to be checked, then make sure you check the sugar. Uh, if you're treating an incident with reversible causes and nobody's identified those reversible causes, it allows for you to uh, treat those reversible causes and bring it to other people's attention. Uh, a fire ground incident, we don't just sit around and wait for somebody to tell us something bad is happening. If there is a reason to break radio discipline and to share that priority traffic or your status change or something from a different perspective, then by all means do so. It is so important to make sure that everybody on that incident scene is connected because that gets back into the team situational awareness, which is what we talked about in the last module on crew resource management. So I, I mentioned that we're training for mastery. Now there's different definitions of mastery. One of the most simple definitions that I like is if we were to give you an exam, and that exam had 10 questions on it, and it was on any subject. Uh, you know, it could be on the history of the Detroit Red Wings. Then nine out of 10 times, you should score 90% or higher on that exam. And that would be your first measure of mastery. Do you get 90% or more right 90% or more of the time? And that can be some type of cognitive skill. It can be some type of psychomotor skill, tying knots, um, shooting baskets, free throws, whatever it might be. Now that's one definition. The other definition I like to use is unconscious competence. So you are to a point where you don't even realize how much you know in any given area. That one can be harder to measure. Uh, but what we're really talking about um, with this particular thing in developing mastery is getting it to the point where you realize how many things go into just one knowledge, skill, or ability. And again, not to, uh, not to beat a dead horse because we talk about this a lot, but our crosslays. So our crosslays went from being a point of weakness to a point of pride. And our crosslays are different. They're creative. They don't look like your typical crosslays uh, that you see sitting on top of a fire truck. But dang it, they work well and they work well for us. And it's important to look back over time and see what the, the downfall of our old system was. So this was my first look into what I, what I call the onion model or peeling the onion. So if you think of an onion with a few different layers, at the very core of that onion is the knowledge, skill, or ability that we are trying to build. And then we work backwards in terms of why are we trying to teach somebody to do this skill? When do we want them to do this skill and how do we want them to do this skill? So cross lays is where this really manifested itself in my mind and really became clear to me. The cross lays weren't coming off the truck, not because we didn't know why to pull the cross lays. We didn't know why we were using the cross lay system that we were. Uh, we didn't know when um, necessarily 
to load it based off of how we were trying to get the crosslace off the truck. And it made it difficult because some shifts loaded that triple load on the truck so it could come off only one direction. Some shifts tried to do it where it would come off either direction. And over time, we lost track of why, when, and how that system was supposed to work. So the new bundle system, we did a really good job all together collectively. You know, Kyle Susswitz did a lot of work on this as well in determining why we're using this crosslace system, when we're using this crosslace system versus a three inch with a bundle, and how, not only how to deploy this, but how to repack it. So if you look back uh, in the, in the um, quick drills that we developed, one of the early volumes of quick drills, April 2012, which seems like forever ago now, talked about the proper deployment and reloading of the crosslace system. And it, it still to this day continues to be a proven system um, within our organization. So that's what's about with mastery and peeling the onion. And it's really hard to expect somebody to be, the, to be a master at something when you haven't told them the most three basic questions. Why, when, and how. So if we don't answer why, when, and how, we set up a scenario where we could have uh, bad consequences or significant loss. In our organization, one such instance was Highland Lane. So I think everybody here is familiar with Highland Lane and how that played out. And if you think back to the domino theory uh, that we talked about in the very beginning, where basically the thought is you can see uh, accident causation as a a series of dominoes starting with the social environment of the culture and then the fault of a person, which in this instance was 100% me and my fault. And that led to an unsafe act, which led to an accident and which led to minor, minor, minor injuries. But you can see where the potential for catastrophic injury and or loss of life was absolutely present. And I was really by sheer luck that that did not happen. So I can speak from experience on Highland Lane in terms of culture and a fault of a person, my own arrogance, ignorance, and complacency led to that unsafe act. Uh, And my experience was misguided to that point. And I think since that incident, uh, amongst others, we've had a change in our social environment and a change in our culture that has embraced training and preparation more and more as time has gone on. And that's important because the next time something like that happens, Will I be ready or will you be ready and will I be capable and will you be capable and am I trained and are you trained? Because we have to be aware of the plane, the path, and the people. Just like we talked about earlier uh, in the last series, if we don't know where the plane is going and who's flying it and who's on board, then how on earth will we ever get to where we're trying to get to? So again, next time you climb in the cockpit, cockpit, ask yourself this question. Are you ready? Are you capable? And are you properly trained to deal with not only the airplane or the vehicle you're operating, but also with the crew members on your team? So one of the ways we maintain that readiness for next time is through constant training. So we train perform, stay smart. That's how this works. In the airline industry, they do something called LOSA. LOSA stands for Line Operations Safety Assessments. And these safety assessments provide valuable field data that identify strengths and weaknesses, and they reduce undesirable events by improving your efficiency and improving your effectiveness. 
So these are basically simulations, and those LOSA observations have resulted in numerous changes to standard operating guidelines. It allows us to share information, better, in, um, better manage the information associated with the incident, and allows for some verbal cues among stakeholders. So it's essentially a simulation. That's what they do. So think back to blue card. Those are simulations. We can't light 10 different buildings on fire and let you work through the incident management portion of it. We sometimes have to use things at our disposal, such as simulations um, through the uh, Fire Studio software that accompanies the blue card training program. So uh, in short, that is what we're talking about with training in particular. We have a lot more coming on training in uh, the next couple of weeks, so we'll, we won't belabor the point. This is really just an introduction and an introduction as it relates to training within crew resource management. So thank you guys for your time, and we'll see you in the next installment for crew resource management. Thank you for listening to the Hooked on Learning podcast. Until next time, be smart.